Well, good morning and welcome again to Hope Church. I wonder if you'd turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read together verses 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. This is the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, sometimes God is really confusing and, and actually, more than that, sometimes he's a bit irritating when you don't understand what's going on. He just doesn't do things, does he, to our agenda. He tends to do things to his uh, agenda. And I guess if I was that guy in the crowd who'd, who'd shouted out about his inheritance, I think that's how I would be feeling right now. Because this guy comes to town and he's clearly agitated already by his brother. His brother, it seems, won't share the inheritance with him. And it seems clear from the text that this guy sees the situation as a clear and obvious injustice. I don't think he sees it in any other way. It's very simply this, that his brother is in the wrong and he is, uh, he is withholding what rightfully belongs to him. And I think as well, we see from his behaviour that this guy is really consumed by the situation. And I think actually he's uptight. He's really worked up uh, about it, about this uh, perceived injustice, because when he sees Jesus in the town and becomes part of the crowd, it seems the first thing, of, certainly the first recorded thing that said is he shouts out and blurts out this situation to Jesus. And I think this man probably would have thought, if I can tell Jesus what's going on, I think at the very least he will confirm the kind of rightness of my cause. He'll say, yeah, yeah, your brother's treating you really badly and he shouldn't do that. I think this man was looking for at least that and possibly even that Jesus might summon his brother and say, bring your brother here and we'll sort this out now. I think that's what he was looking for. But confusingly, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus says this. He says, well, who made me judge over you? I mean, that's like saying, well, I don't know. What's that got to do with me? He seems to have sidestepped the whole situation. And then Jesus stops speaking to this man. He speaks instead to the crowd and appears to talk about something completely different. Wow, you know, if I was that guy in that moment, I would be saying, wow, wait a minute. What's that about? Why have you done that? 
you know, actually what God has done is something really clever, really sneaky, actually. Because what God has just done to this man is he has completely flipped the situation on its head. Because he has started to examine this man's heart. Suddenly, God has gone deeper with this guy. This guy feels you're not dealing with the situation as I see it. God is saying, actually, I'm dealing with the real situation in your heart. I'm not going to deal with the surface issues. Jesus completely refuses to deal with the situation about the inheritance and brothers and all that stuff. He just refuses to deal with it, but says, no, I'm going to deal with the real thing going on in you. And that's where your heart is. This man thought this was an issue of injustice and his unfair brother. But actually what God is doing is probing the very motivation of his heart. And he's exposing, actually, the ugly reality of covetousness. That's what's coming up, or, or greed, perhaps we could call it, as a primary driver, a primary motivation in this man's heart. God has very cleverly run his fingers through this man. And he's dealing not with the surface issues, he's dealing with the heart. You know, it says in uh, the book of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 17, says this, the Lord does not, look at the uh, uh, does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I don't think this guy was expecting to have his heart probed in this way uh, by God when he came into town that day. But that's what he suddenly found God doing. God has been ru had run his fingers through him and actually has helped him far more uh, than just sorting out a matter of inheritance. I think that's an amazing scenario that the Bible gives us at this. I think it's fascinating that in our study of Luke, this little scenario should have arisen at this time because it is exactly what God has been saying to us as a church prophetically and through the preaching over the last few weeks. Uh, I'm sure you'll remember that God has been emphasizing that he has a desire to challenge us. He wants to run his fingers through our hearts. He wants to look deeper into us. He wants to turn over some of the motivations that actually exist in our hearts and he wants to change us. And all of this is a preparation for, the, for, the, for a, an outpouring of his spirit, which he has in mind. But we need to be prepared for what God is going to do. And this is the way God is wanting to prepare us. So I think it's fascinating that in our study of Luke, we should suddenly pre be presented with this situation of a man who is having his heart searched right in front of us. Maybe you're going through a situation at the moment and uh, it's really irritating you or it's worrying you and you've been praying about it and God's not been answering you in the way that you think he should be. And uh, maybe you're quite agitated about that situation right now. I wonder if actually what God is trying to do is talk to you about the state of your heart. He's wanting actually not just to deal with the surface issue that you're wrestling with, he wants to deal with something that's far deeper, far more rooted in your motivation.
Jeeves uh, last week very helpfully told us that uh, when we begin to look at chapters 11 and 12 in Luke, what we see at this stage in this particular gospel was Jesus beginning to equip his disciples for life after Jesus has physically left them. And I agree, I think this is a really critical time for the disciples, chapters 11 and 12. I think they are critical chapters in terms of shaping them and their, and their motivation and who they are. It's a time when God seems to be challenging them over some major heart issues. And if these issues are left undealt with, then the, the disciples could have been derailed, I believe. If these heart issues aren't truly examined, then they can render us ineffective. And I suspect the issues that they faced then, then are the same issues that God is wanting to face us up to today. So what are these heart issues then that uh, God is looking at in chapters 11 and 12? Well, the first issue I think that arose was the issue that Ian uh, dealt with uh, two weeks ago when he preached on the Pharisees. And we saw the big problem of legalism, of self-justification and hypocrisy, so embodied by uh, every, pretty much everything the Pharisees do. You know, it's really important if the pharisaical attitude is in us, that level of hypocrisy uh, is in us, then God cannot, he will not, cannot build his church on that. We need to let God challenge us over this issue of hypocrisy and over the pharisaical attitude of self-justification. It's really important that we do that. Then Jeeves spoke to us, didn't he, about the fear of man rather than the fear of the Lord. Do you remember Jeeves speaking about the fear of the Lord and speaking into our hearts and lives? Today I'm going to look at the whole issue of covetousness, materialism and greed. Next week Ian's going to look at anxiety. And then the week after that uh, we will be looking at passivity and faithlessness. Now all of these are really important issues. All of these are things that can grip our hearts and actually can choke us as Christians. I don't know if you remember when we looked at the parable of the sower and we saw that there were four different types of seed and one type of seed when it was planted it grew but it was choked and I believe that the things we've just listed here are things that can choke us and they cause us to be ineffective, unproductive uh, as Christians. So God's looking at our hearts and uh, I think specifically this week he wants to look at the subject of covetousness. So uh, after this initial encounter then with this man, Jesus goes on to make a statement <clears throat> and he then illustrates this statement with the parable and he uses the parable to sort of expand on it, uh, uh, looking at the parable of the rich fool. And Jesus makes this statement before he tells the parable. He says this, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
I think there are two things we need to notice there. The first thing, did you see that there was a double warning? Jesus says, take care. And immediately then he says, and be on your guard. Take care and be on your guard. It's a double warning that Jesus has given us. Now, a double warning means that we need to actively wake up to the, to the threat, to recognise that there is a threat in this area. And also it's something that we need to do something about. I think a double warning also shows us this, that we as human beings are very vulnerable to falling into covetousness. Covetousness, by the way, is uh, the desire for other people's stuff. Uh, and greed is the desire to have and hold onto more and more stuff. So they're quite closely uh, linked. Okay, so that was the first thing. Second thing then uh, about this statement is that Jesus here is exposing this, that humans often believe that life is all about the abundance of possessions that we have. Now that's a difficult thing for us to grasp. It's probably more difficult than we first appreciate because the truth is most of us don't think that we believe that. So if you asked most people in the street, you stopped somebody and you said, um, do you think life is mainly about how much money and possessions you've got? I think that eight out of 10 at least would say, no, 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 of course it isn't. It's, uh, it's about love and family and friends and you know, richer things like that. Money and possessions, that's a bit of a shallow thing. That's what most people would say. I think what Jesus is exposing here by making this statement though, He's saying that actually, this is what often, what many people really think. They are very materially driven, like the guy we saw at the beginning of this passage. I don't think he was aware of the fact that he was so materially, so covetous and so materially driven, but Jesus has utterly exposed, no, that's what's really going on in his life. You know, if we want to be effective disciples of Jesus, we really do need to let God nail us on this one. We really need to have uh, that belief that life is all about money and possessions. We really need that to be challenged in us. See, if we don't let God challenge us on that one, what we can do is we could spend our whole lives calling ourselves Christians and doing Christian things, but actually serving a master whose name is money, not Jesus. We need to let God search us on this one. And actually, we might even have to own up to some things about how we actually feel. And that's, of course, why we really do need God's help in this, because he needs to show us things that we might not want to admit to or might not even be able to recognise uh, in our lives. OK, so Jesus makes this uh, profound statement and then he tells the actual parable itself. And I guess on first glance, the rich man's behaviour in this parable doesn't seem too unreasonable. Uh, he's got a successful farm. He runs it well. Uh, it's productive. 
He's thinking about the future and expansion. Arguably, he's sort of putting a good pension aside for his old age. Nothing wrong so far. It's all good. Until you realise that this man is only thinking of himself. He refers to my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. See, it's not being successful that Jesus is having a problem with. No, no, God doesn't have a problem with people having wealth and being rich, and Christians being rich. That's not a problem. God does have a problem, however, with the way in which this rich man used his wealth, that it was only for him and no one else. God describes people who do that as fools. It's a strong phrase, fools. Although many in our society today would look at this man described in this parable and they'd say, wow, great, what a fantastic example. I'd like to be like him. So why is this rich man considered foolish by God? Well, God explains wonderfully why he's foolish. See, the parable points out that his behaviour is in reality a terribly short-term, really bad investment. See, if you spend your life amassing money and possessions for yourself and you do not invest in generosity towards God, then when you die, everything that you've worked for will go to somebody else and you will have nothing invested in your eternal future. So you will have worked really hard and you come out with nothing. So God is saying, that's a bad idea. You know, in Matthew 6, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, it says this, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, whether, uh, sorry, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're being encouraged in this parable to have an eternal view on money. See, our lives are obviously not all about now or even the next 10 years or 20 years or even 50 years. No, uh, God is explaining our lives have an eternal aspect to them. And that's how we should think. And if you're a really materialistic person or you're driven by covetousness or greed, it's a real indicator that you are not thinking eternally. You're not thinking about what's going to happen after my life on earth. And God is encouraging us to think like that. See, because before long, all of us will stand before God on judgment day. And uh, as Christians, wonderfully, we won't be judged on our sin. That is such a, a wonderful, glorious truth that we will not be judged for our sin. Hallelujah. Jesus has already been judged and we have got the benefit of that. But we will be judged on our works and the quality of our works. And it seems that how we handle our money and our possessions is going to matter on that day. And the kind of question, I guess, underlying this is, were you eternally wise with your money or were you eternally foolish? 
Jesus ends this parable with this great little phrase, actually very helpful phrase for us. He says this, we need to be rich towards God, rich towards God. That's a great phrase, really helpful, I think, in the way that we handle our money. So let's be people who are rich towards God and not just generous to ourselves. I'd like to finish uh, just by referencing a couple of things. The first thing I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to kind of let God in on this matter of money and possessions. And I'd like to encourage you to do that, even if you think this is not really an issue for you. You don't think of yourself as materialistic. I think it's still good to let God run his fingers through you. And uh, I think we should pray that God will open up our hearts to ourselves so that we can see what's going on inside our hearts, find out what's really there by running his fingers through us. So if you're willing to do that, I'd like to pray a prayer. And if you would like to be included in that, I'd like you to just to raise your hands and close your eyes right now. And I'm gonna pray. And if you, uh, as I read this prayer, if you would like to be included in it, I'd just like you to say amen at the end of it. So let's pray. So Lord, we invite you right now to challenge our hearts. Please will you help us to see deeper into ourselves and our true motivation. Father, would you help us to be people that are free from greed and covetousness and to be people that instead are rich towards God. Help us to uh, amass great wealth in heaven and not just possessions on earth. And Lord, we ask you as well, help us to be prepared and ready at a heart level for the day of your power and all that you're planning to do even among us. Lord, we invite you, come and change us. Come and change us. Let us be all that you desire us to be for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, well done. Fantastic. Let's now be on the lookout for what God might want to say to us over the next few days, weeks and months, or, or even longer. Last thing I wanted to reference was this. It may be that you're watching this video and uh, you're someone who has spent your entire life trying to build a good life for yourself. You've been trying to build financial security into your life. And as I said before, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I just felt that there could be some folk who'd be looking at this video today saying, yeah, you know, I, I've got the nice house, I've got a nice car, I've got some money in the bank, but I just feel like that there's got to be something more to life. Is this it? Is it just money? Is it just some comfort for me? And there's something in you that's just crying out saying, surely there's I was meant for more than this. Surely there is something uh, that's a bit deeper than this. And I want to say to you, you are absolutely right. That is your soul crying out for true meaning and real life. And actually, meaning and life can only be found in a relationship with Jesus, knowing God through Jesus Christ. 
And that's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago on the cross. What happened all those years ago is directly relevant. It's essential for you uh, today. And uh, the cross is a mechanism by which you can now be forgiven. The things that you have done wrong, your sin, can now be forgiven because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And it means that you can now know and walk with God himself. Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. You know, it's true, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't know God, then you are poor. You're a pauper. Uh, compared to those who do. Now, the good news today for you is that you can know him. Absolutely, you can. So why don't you ask him even right now uh, to f- for more? Why don't you say, God, I-, I want this life that you're talking about. I know there's something more and I-, I-, I think it's found in you. Why don't you say something like that? Why don't you say to him, please forgive me for the things that I've done wrong. Tell him that you believe in him. Do it in a way that you understand, in, in, a, in a way that you, is natural for you. Why don't you welcome God into your life? Why don't you surrender to him? Welcome him in as your Lord. That's like your boss, I suppose, the boss of your life. And actually, if you do that, you'll find out that he's a really loving, kind, heavenly father as well. Really love you to do that. In fact, why don't you do that right now? You could just put this whole thing on pause and just go and cry out to God. If you would like some help, uh, please do feel free to email me. My email is adam at hopechurch7oaks.org. Adam at hopechurch7oaks.org. And I would just love to help you in any way that I can. Okay, well, that uh, brings us to the end of this talk. I hope, church, that uh, you're able to join us on the uh, after-service chat on Zoom. And uh, I will see you soon. God bless.